Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word from Luke chapter 18, verses 35 through 43. Luke 18, verse 35 to the end of the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. All of God's people said, amen. Amen. Let us uh, be seated here, and I will uh, pray for us as we begin. Father in heaven, we desire to give you glory for what you have done, and we see your glory manifested in this narrative concerning our Lord's miracle of healing And we pray that as we consider the the faith of this man and the power of Christ, that we would see ourselves within this story uh, as those who need the mercy of Christ and those who would cry out in faith for the same thing. We, We ask for your teaching by the Holy Spirit. Please apply this to us tonight. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, as Christians who believe the Bible... And those who are heirs of the legacy of the Protestant Reformation, we have a very central conviction, and that is the conviction that we are saved by faith through the grace of God alone. That's a central conviction for us, isn't it, about the Christian life. We are saved by grace through faith, and this not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. And such, uh, since faith is such a central part of the Christian life, it's important that we not only grow in our understanding of what faith is, but more importantly that we actually grow in faith, uh, that our faith increases as we mature in the Christian life. And among the most important passages in Scripture that describe for us what faith looks like, I think, are the many healing miracles contained in the Gospels. In particular, there's a number of gospel accounts where people seek healing from Christ, and so many times Jesus heals, and then he says in in different words at times, he says, your faith has saved you, or your faith has made you well. He commends faith when he brings healing to people throughout his, his ministry. You think of the centurion, he uses it as an opportunity to declare to the crowds around him after he sees the faith of the centurion who just comes to Jesus and says, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus exclaims, he says, I have not found such faith in all of Israel. He tells everybody else so that they would witness this faith. So these healing miracles are important for us in understanding faith, in growing in faith. They give us a picture, a concrete picture of what faith looks like. 
Of course, we can turn to the letters of the New Testament. We find descriptions of saving faith there as well. Those are helpful to us. But one of the advantages of the gospel narratives is that they set forth faith in living color with people and places and names and events. And that all helps us. We, we like stories. We can understand them more readily, I think. And so we find this story in the Gospel of Luke, this account of the healing of Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. He's named in the Gospel of Mark for us. Uh, that name is provided there. And so as we look at Bartimaeus this evening, and as we look at Christ, most importantly, may it be that in our, uh, due to our time in this passage, that we would have the faith of Bartimaeus, that we'd imitate it, uh, the spirit that drove him to cry out to Jesus and to cry out all the louder. This is important for us as we think about the Christian life. And uh, I believe that this particular account is one of the most instructive accounts for how our life of faith manifests itself in prayer. Bartimaeus is a good example of an importunate man. That English word, importunate, we don't use it very much, but it's a valuable word. It's not important, it's importunate. I looked this up in the uh, Oxford English Dictionary. I was curious how that word is defined these days, and I was, it was interesting to see what the dictionary gave. It says the word importunate means persistent, especially to the point of annoyance or intrusion. To that point, you're, you're so persistent that you end up annoying somebody in the process. And the reason I mention that is because the particular uh, chapter 18 of Luke began with the parable of the persistent widow, as we often call it. And the beginning of the chapter reads this way, that Jesus spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And then what followed was the persistent widow. Uh, of course, we recall Luke 11, which is the parable of the friend at midnight who kept knocking at the door until he got an answer. And we were encouraged by those different uh, teachings to strive and continually con uh, press on in prayer, seeking God's will and his mercy uh, for those things that we desire from him. And I think Bartimaeus is a good example of this kind of persistence, this kind of importunity, uh, and he, as he calls upon the name of Christ. Now, in his case, he's got to overcome the crowds that are trying to stop him. But if he hadn't continued crying out, would Jesus have heard him? It's an interesting question to consider. He kept crying out above the crowds so that Jesus would respond. And it is this kind of persistent, zealous faith that we indeed ought to imitate. So let's look here at the details of the account. We'll begin with verses 35 through 38, as Luke sets the stage. Then it happened, as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Luke sets the stage for us as to where this took place. We're here at the town of Jericho, about 20 miles from Jerusalem, a town 800 feet below sea level, in fact. And that's why it's mentioned about going up to Jerusalem. They really meant that when they said, you're going up to Jerusalem. You, you did a go up. It wasn't just a figure of speech. And here in Jericho, at the side of the road, was this man whom Mark provides the name for, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. He was in a pitiable condition as a blind man. 
His blindness prevented him from laboring with his hands in many different ways. He relied upon the occasional charity of those who passed by to provide for his needs. And so this was a difficult situation to be in. I don't think that unless we really experienced much of anything in terms of blindness that we could really grasp what this is like to lose one's sight. Uh, recently, after having gone to the eye doctors, the eye doctor prescribed that I put these eye compresses all over my eyes for about 10 or 15 minutes each night. It's supposed to help with dry eyes and release the glands. And, and I haven't had to do this ever, so I've been putting this, this compress on my eyes for only 10 minutes. But it's amazing to me how little I can actually do because of it. I'm like, I can't even hold the baby. I can't find this. I'm going to knock the water over. It's, it's amazing how much of your faculties, especially if you haven't been blind, you're disabled by these things. This is a man who perhaps had been blind all his life. We're not specifically told that, but it's very possible that this was his lifelong experience. And so though Bartimaeus is in this position and his eyes do not work, we find that his ears do work, and that is very important by the blessing of God. He could hear. He heard a commotion taking place. The crowds were making noise, and he asked somebody, what's going on? He can't see that this is Jesus of Nazareth, and so he must ask somebody nearby, what's taking place? Now, whether or not Bartimaeus had heard Jesus preach before, we do not know, but I think it's fair to surmise that he had heard about Jesus at the very least, The news about Christ had been spread all over the land in varying degrees, and people were hearing about the mighty acts of Jesus, and this man from Nazareth that worked miracles and that showed such compassion to people, he had probably heard something of this, if not having even heard Jesus preach, perhaps. And it's interesting, if you look at how the crowd describes Jesus and how Bartimaeus describes Jesus, I think we find something very interesting here. Bartimaeus asks, who is this? The crowd answers, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. That's the crowd's conception of Jesus. And and of course, it's accurate so far as it goes. He is from Nazareth. That's historically accurate. But you notice that Bartimaeus has a higher conception of Christ than the crowd describes him. Bartimaeus doesn't just think this is Jesus of Nazareth. Bartimaeus knows that this is the son of David. Bartimaeus has identified Christ rightly. And in that sense, Bartimaeus saw much more clearly than the rest of the crowd did at that point. It was with eyes of faith that he apprehended that the Messiah had come. Jesus was not just a carpenter from the lowly town of Nazareth. He was the king who was to come. Now what does this tell us about Bartimaeus' faith in Jesus? Well, for Bartimaeus to call Jesus the son of David demonstrates that he had taken his knowledge of the messianic promises of the Old Testament, however much he knew of those. And he, by faith, apprehended that what he was hearing about Christ was the fulfillment of those promises that God had made so long ago. He had identified rightly that this is the anointed one of God, the deliverer of God's people, the king who has come to reign. And we know that this thread about Jesus being the son of David, we've, we've found it throughout the Gospel of Luke. You recall the announcement of the angel Gabriel to Mary back in Luke chapter 1. Gabriel told her, he's, uh, concerning Jesus, he says, He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And perhaps Bartimaeus knew something of the words of Isaiah 11, verse 1. There's a lot of other prophecies like this, but Isaiah 11 had prophesied, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The rod of Jesse had come. The king, the the son of David, had arrived. And this Messiah, Bartimaeus knew something of this. Bartimaeus perhaps realized that the Messiah would bring peace and justice to the earth. He would care for the poor and the meek. He would be merciful and faithful. And and as Isaiah 61 had spoken about, he'd bring liberty to the captives and sight to the blind. And so Bartimaeus, by faith, apprehended who Jesus was. Not only did he apprehend who Jesus was, but he also believed that Jesus could help him. That's another step, right? It's one thing to say, Jesus is this. It's another step to say, he can help me. That's why he said, have mercy on me. He believed that Jesus could do something about this. And it's interesting also to me that Bartimaeus didn't have this merely kind of carnal conception of what Jesus' kingship meant. Because some people, they thought, the king comes, Romans get destroyed, thrown in Jerusalem, but, but Bartimaeus understands that Jesus has come to heal, to heal the blind, like him. And so this, this brings the question before us as well this evening, what, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Do you believe not only what the Bible says about him, but do you believe that he can help you? The Bible says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. Are those promises then Promises that you can take hold of. Promises that if you cry out to him, he will answer. He will help. This is a faith test for us. If we will do the same thing that Bartimaeus did, which is to cry out for the mercy of Christ in whatever way we need that mercy in our lives. And though Jesus is no longer on earth, he is is no less accessible to us than he was to Bartimaeus. You don't have to wait for him to pass through Elizabeth physically. He reigns over all. He has ascended to the right hand of God. He dwells with his people through his Holy Spirit. He he is with us. And he will help us. And Jesus' name is a powerful name. That's why Bartimaeus uses it. It's not only a term of address. He's, He's claiming this powerful name of Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I think of the power of Christ's name as it's mentioned in Acts chapter 4. You see, after, even after Jesus is ascended, the apostles, they don't do healing on their own. They do it in the name and by the power of Jesus Christ. You remember Acts chapter 4 when they heal the man, at the, the, the paralyzed man at the gate beautiful. And uh, Peter is answering for how this miracle took place before the the authorities, and Peter, it says in Acts 4, verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. And of course, we must say the same thing in the context of Christ's church in the modern day. If you see someone healed, 
whether we're talking about physical healing or a man converted, what do we say? We don't say that we did it. We say it is by the name of Jesus Christ who is raised from the dead, who is ascended at the right hand of God, that this man stands before you whole. That's what, how we would answer as well, because it is still only by the power of the name of Christ that such things happened. And so one of the encouragements for us this evening is that we pray in the name of Christ. And that's not just a rote and meaningless thing. That is a very powerful and important thing that we pray in the name of Christ, even addressing Christ at times in our prayers, and asking him for mercy. But as Bartimaeus began to cry out, this brings us to our next point, he ran into obstacles, obstacles to being heard by Jesus in verse 39. It says, Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. You can imagine what this is like. You have this raving blind man yelling out the name of Jesus. It's just, it it got on people's nerves probably. So quiet down, chill out. Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was perhaps kind of annoying, or maybe the crowd thought, oh, you're not important enough to talk to this Jesus person. Just be quiet. Don't be so loud. But this was a man that wanted the mercy of God. He he wanted Christ to show him mercy. He wasn't going to let the crowds quiet him down. And I I think he didn't want their rebukes and warnings to drown out his voice, and so he got louder. It says he cried out all the more. Uh, Here's faith in action. If somebody's trying to calm you down from an act of faith or a statement of faith, you just, I'm just going to get louder. I'm just going to speak up even more. This is a good example of how importunate prayer overcomes the obstacles in the way to get to Jesus. What sort of obstacles do we face in terms of our exercise of faith and prayer? Well, it's certainly possible that at times people will discourage us. That can happen. You can have people, that, unbelievers perhaps, that would, uh, would warn you or discourage you from praying to the name of Christ. We may be mocked by unbelievers for believing in the name of Jesus and believing in the power of prayer. But another obstacle, I think, to faith-filled, importunate prayer is our own crowd of mental doubts in our minds. There's crowds in this story, there's crowds in our minds uh, containing various doubts and discouraging thoughts. It is our own doubts that we fight against in the battle to be persistent in prayer. The doubts such as, God does not care about this. Or, God is not good. Or, why bother asking for that again? It didn't happen last week, and it probably won't happen this week. The list could go on and on in terms of the mental doubts and discouragements, the crowds that are in our minds seeking to discourage us from persisting in prayer. And to these doubts, I encourage you to rise above them. Get louder than your thoughts, your discouragements, your doubts, pray above them. And this is perhaps one of the reasons that it is a good application to pray out loud. Because if your mind is just talking, it might, be, it might seem a bit louder. But if you can pray over it 
and call upon the name of Christ for mercy and for help and for deliverance, then you can overcome these, these various doubts that are, are pressing against you, that are warning you not to cry out as you have been doing. Now, there's another thing, I think, that kept Bartimaeus going, that kept him pressing forward and crying out to Jesus. And it was the fact that Bartimaeus had a very heavy burden upon him. He had a very ardent desire that he wanted to see fulfilled. This heavy burden of blindness that had so long been upon him and so long debilitated him, he wanted it removed from his life. And because of that heavy burden, because of his ardent desire for healing, he continued an importunate request to the Lord Jesus to help him, to deliver him from this. Now, this is a, a test again for us, brothers and sisters. If we really desire something, it will be manifested in our life of prayer. If, on the other hand, we don't think it's that big of a deal and we don't care that much, then we're not going to cry out for help. But people that are in desperate straits, people that are drowning, about to die, they cry out for help with a very loud voice because they are so desperate for help. But if we don't have a burden, if we're not desperate, then we're not going to cry out. And so, brothers and sisters, it's important for you to identify what is the prayer burden that you have right now. What is the thing that you are urgent about, the thing that you desire to see the mercy of God in. And so if we have spiritual needs, which we do, and if others in your life have spiritual needs or physical needs, which they do, then we need to pray more and more like Bartimaeus. We need to have this kind of zealous passion to call upon the name of Jesus, driven not only by the burden that we so want to see addressed, but also by our strong faith in the name of Christ, who is powerful and who can answer and who can help. We have to have both of those things operating as we cry out to God. So we go on uh, to verse 40 and 41. Bartimaeus' voice lifted to the crowds. Jesus heard his voice and Jesus responded in Luke 18 verse 40. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord that I may receive my sight. I'm just going to read Mark 10, 49 through 51. This is the parallel account. Mark adds a few details for us. It says, Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer. Rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbani, that I may receive my sight. You see the compassion of Christ. Christ did not ignore him. We know that in our Lord's ministry, he showed such compassion that the people that the world thought were unimportant and to be ignored, Jesus always cared about. You know, the disciples didn't even grasp this when they were trying to keep the children away from Jesus, as we saw earlier in this chapter. Uh, And Jesus is not happy with them in pushing away the children. Jesus believed the children were important. He saw them as important. Jesus believed that this blind man crying out, using his name, identifying rightly who he is, was to be answered. 
This is our Lord's compassion, His care, His concern. He answers the cries of His people. We know, of course, that our Lord's answers in prayer come according to His sovereign will and His sovereign timing, according to His sovereign wisdom. We believe that. But it is a faith conviction to believe that Jesus hears us and He cares about us when we pray. And Jesus asks Bartimaeus a question. He asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Why did Jesus ask this question? We know that our our Lord knows all things. Remember when Jesus in John 21 was questioning Peter over and over again. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And then at the third point, Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Well, Peter was right. The Lord knew all things. So often our Lord would ask questions for our own benefit. It is for Bartimaeus to identify by faith the thing that he is bringing to Jesus and to say, I want help with this. And I think this this by application does call us to a specificity in what we bring to the Lord. We are to to bring our prayers, we bring our requests for the mercy of Christ with some specificity. And yes, we we can add the the godly qualifications of, Lord, if you don't will this, would you you will this? We, We can bring those kinds of right and godly qualifications. We don't know the Lord's plan ahead. But it is also right for us to bring specific petitions, specific concerns, specific requests, and and ask the Lord to grant them. And so we can bring specificity. We We can tell the Lord what we want him to do for us. And that's, of course, what Bartimaeus answered. He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And that is exactly what our Lord Jesus did for Bartimaeus. And so often we see in these gospel accounts that the response of the healing, the answer to the request is two things. So often in the Gospel of Luke and in the other gospels, glorifying God and following Jesus. Those are the two things. And that's exactly what Bartimaeus did in verses 42 and 43. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. And I think back to the story in Luke 17 of the healing of the lepers. And the leper, what does he do? He praises Jesus, he praises God, and then he follows Jesus. And here it is that Bartimaeus gives glory to the Lord who had healed him. Well, from all of this, we we see how important, how central, how foundational faith is. And I began to survey again how many times Jesus speaks about faith in the Gospels uh, as being central. And I I have a number of passages to read to you, and I'm not going to, you don't have to look all of them up, although you're welcome to write them down or look them up, but I want them to just hit you uh, as you hear them. Think about what these things mean. This is how often Jesus would speak about faith as he interacted with people in his ministry. Mark 9.23, Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Matthew 9.29, Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, 
let it be to you. John 11, verse 40, Jesus speaking here at the resurrection of Lazarus. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Mark 5, 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And then from one from the epistles, 1 John 5, verses 4 through 5. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You see how pervasive this theme is? We can multiply references, of course. But Jesus, so often as he spoke to people in his ministry, it was things like, your faith has made you well. According to your faith, or I love John 11, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Do you desire that, brothers and sisters? To see the glory of God. We will see it if we believe. Now, in contrast to these positive statements on faith, there's many where we see how damaging and dangerous unbelief is, how deadly it is. Matthew thirteen fifty eight. it says, Now Jesus did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. They would have seen the glory of God if they had but believed. But where there's unbelief, not many mighty works done. And then from the epistles, Romans eleven nineteen through 20, Paul speaking to the Gentiles. He's warning them about how uh, the Lord had for a time, there had been a severing of the Jews, and they had, of course, been brought into the olive tree. But Paul warns them not to be proud about such things, and he tells them, he warns them as to why the Jews were cut off. Romans eleven nineteen. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief. They were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. Hebrews 3, verse 12, the author is warning us about uh, departing from the Lord, apostasy from the faith. And what he tells us in Hebrews 3, 12 is, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And of course he follows up, Exhort one another, lest that happen. And I don't think I need to comment on all these passages for you to get the point of how central faith is in the Christian life. Where faith is exercised, we see the glory of God. God does great things, prayers are answered. Those who wait upon the Lord will not be disappointed. Unbelief, on the other hand, is deadly. God does not do many mighty works in response to unbelief, as we see from Matthew 13. And so we are warned against these things. We are warned against unbelief and its dangers. And its evils. Now, as I say all this, you're, you are perhaps well aware of the crowd of mental doubts that I was talking about earlier. Uh, you've experienced those things as you cry out to God, as you walk the life of faith. And perhaps you would admit, as I do, that there are times where we do not pray with the level of strong faith that we wish we would. How should we respond to this reality within us? If we are aware that our faith is weak, what shall we do? Well, in this regard, I think that the father of Mark 9 is surely one of the most helpful examples of what we should do. 
This is, of course, one of the faith statements that I read just a moment ago where Jesus says, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And here's a man with this demon-possessed boy, and he's struggling with the statement. He's struggling with the reality of what he has seen for, for a long time, this little boy, and what Jesus has just said. He's not able to reconcile them very easily by sight, right? We walk by faith and not by sight. So by sight, he's thinking, I'm not seeing it yet. I, I want to believe so that all things are possible, as Jesus had said, so what do I do? Well, this is one of the best responses. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And this was again a man with a heavy burden, much like Bartimaeus. He so desperately wanted to see his child healed. And he exercised his faith by saying two things. Number one, I believe. Number two, please, Lord, have mercy on my unbelief. Help my unbelief. We actually demonstrate our faith by confessing our struggles with unbelief. We pray believing by confessing our unbelief, by saying, Lord, have mercy upon even my unbelief. And we're in essence asking Jesus to heal us from our unbelief when we say such things. And so we we need to do the same thing when we deal with the weakness of faith. As we cry out to God, we can even confess, Lord, I am struggling to believe your promises, but I believe, I'm waiting upon you. And I'm asking that you would have mercy upon me in this. And now we see also how this this saving faith resulted in this this glorifying God, giving praise to him. And this, this has to be the inevitable response in our lives, brothers and sisters. If we have received the mercy of Christ, uh, it cannot but result in a life of giving glory to God, a life of worship. If we too have been healed of our spiritual blindness as Bartimaeus was healed of his physical blindness, then by faith we will commit ourselves to giving glory to God all our days. I found this particular hymn by William Matson. He wrote the hymn, Lord, I Was Blind. So it seemed like a fitting uh, hymn to speak to the Bartimaeus narrative. And here he poetically expresses the reality about what saving faith brings about in our lives. And Listen to what he says. He says, Lord, I was blind, I could not see. In thy marred visage, any grace. He looked at Christ, he couldn't see any grace there until God gave him eyes to see. But now the beauty of thy face and radiant vision dawns on me. Lord, I was deaf. I could not hear the thrilling music of thy voice. But now I hear thee and rejoice And all thine uttered words are dear. Lord, I was dead. I could not stir my lifeless soul to come to thee. But now, since thou hast quickened me, I rise from sin's dark sepulcher. If you're a Christian now, you can say with the blind man of John 9, One thing I know, once I was blind, but now I see. You may not know very much else at points. That's fine. There's times at which... We have to say, 
That's the main thing I need to remember now, especially in the, the dark and the difficult days in which things are unclear and we're struggling with, in our life of faith. We can say, one thing I know, once I was blind, but now I do see. I see Jesus Christ as the Son of David, the Lord of glory. Whereas once you could not see the truth of God, now you can see it. Whereas once you did not understand God's grace, now you have received it. There was once a time when your ears were deaf to the word of God. You had no interest in it, perhaps. You did not find in it the words of eternal life. But now, as the hymn said, those words are dear. And if you have now received that new sight, you will, like Bartimaeus, follow Jesus and glorify him for what he has done. And so, brothers and sisters, I encourage us towards this this pattern of faith, this crying out to Jesus, this importunity. May we be so committed with such a heavy burden, but also such a a conviction of, of strong faith that Jesus can help us so that we would indeed cry out to him, as just as Bartimaeus did here. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord Jesus, we call upon your name this evening. First, to give thanks for how you have shown mercy to us. You have been so good to us to give us eyes to see, ears to hear. And we also come to confess our unbelief, our our doubts, our struggles to believe the promises contained in your word. And Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We ask that you would grant us the gift of the Holy Spirit in greater measure, that our faith would be strengthened, that where faith has been weak, that it would be revived, and where our lives of prayer have been dulled by doubts and discouragements, that we would not be discouraged anymore, but that we would pray with a renewed vigor, asking that you would help us in our time of need. And we ask that you would grant us to continue persistently and expectantly in prayer. We pray this in the name of our Lord. Amen.